have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. That's where we're going to be uh, camping out uh, today as we uh, jump into God's Word. Uh, as we do that, we're starting a new series, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But, um, you know, prayer, we're going to be doing a lot of it today. Um, this past month, but especially this past week, has been uh, a really difficult one in our country, in our, in our nation. Um, you know, I was talking with some friends this week about the, the shooting in Buffalo, uh, followed by um, this ri just ridiculous, horrible act uh, in Uvalde now with these children, and then uh, reports of um, pride getting in the way of ministry and healing and protecting others, uh, even within the church in places. And um, this is a time more than ever, I'm, I'm very convinced that we need to know in whom we believe and what we believe. Um, that it's not uh, a time for us to really just assume that people understand, but that we need to be, be ready. And so before we start walking into this uh, 14 weeks of what we believe and why, would you just bow with me in a word of prayer? Because we want to lift up those uh, around our country who are hurting differently than we are today. Uh, Father God, um, Lord, the reality is we can't fathom, but you know intimately uh, the pain that is being dealt with um, for people who have lost husbands and wives and children over the last few weeks. Um, Lord, we know that sin is permeating, it seems like, every angle of our society, and godlessness is, is, is yielding the fruit. But God, we know that you are able. Uh, Lord, we know that you're able to comfort uh, those who need comfort today. Uh, those who know a pain that is deeper than we could imagine, but, but that you know well. Uh, Father God, we pray that you would bring healing and hope. God, we pray that, that your Holy Spirit um, would lead us to follow you where you would lead. Lord, in whatever area that is, God, so that we can allow this world to see what happens when the light of Christ uh, comes in uh, to our government, what the light of Christ does when it comes into our homes, what the light of Christ comes into our hearts and our minds. Um, but Lord, right here and right now, um, we know you're the comforter. And so God, would you comfort those who are hurting and, and lead us to run hard after you, uh, Lord, so that we might receive a revival that closes the shops, Lord, of the, the sin uh, in the world that are, that are thriving right now and that we're eating the fruit of. Uh, we love you in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, well, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in, <clears throat> in Exodus chapter 3, but I want to let you know uh, how God's brought me on my journey of getting to uh, this 14-week series of what we believe and why. And there are a lot of things that we believe, uh, and there's a lot of reasons why in, in doing that. But, but I want to walk you through a passage in 1 Peter, because we're abandoning my study on, on Peter for, for a season to walk through something I think is more important right now. Um, but in reading 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 16, this is what the Bible says. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Verse 15, this is the one I want you to, to know. It's what pricked me. But in your hearts, honor Christ. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to what anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you, that, excuse me, for the reason for the hope that is in you. 
yet do it with gentleness and respect, having good conscience so that we, when you may be slandered, those who revile you for your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You see, what Scripture says is that we have to be prepared to give an answer, a defense, so to speak, of what we believe. If you claim a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then, then you and I have to be ready. This is the command of the Lord, Scripture inspired by the, the Spirit. And, and the reality is, when it comes to what do you believe, I don't know is not a defense, is it? I mean, that's not a defense when you walk in the door and someone spills spaghetti all over your floor and no one's around. The kids are playing video games suspiciously. You know, your husband's on the back porch. Who did that? I don't know. If nobody knows and you don't have a dog, somebody's a liar. Amen? Like someone's not telling the truth. I don't know is not a defense when we come into that. And so when we come into our faith, I don't know or hmm, I've never thought about that. That may leave us short. So first thing I want to let you know is if someone ever asks you a question about your faith that you don't know the answer to, here's what I would encourage you to do as your pastor is to say this is, do you know what? I'm not certain, but I will start looking into that. I will start studying that now because I want to be able to articulate. I want to be able to share it with you. So don't lie, but listen, I want you to be caught full of hands and it comes to what you and I believe because what scripture says about Christ. So these 14 weeks, I want to let you know something else. If you come to every Sunday this summer, I know better than that for some of you, Every Sunday this summer, my sermons are about 30 minutes long. That means you will get seven hours of what we believe training. That is four hours less than the average audio book and one hour shorter than a work day, than an average work day that nobody works eight hours, it seems like. So is that enough for you and I? Is seven hours over 14 weeks, is that enough? No, it's not even close to enough. So here's what I want to let you know is this is a great time. I want you to start taking notes. I want you to allow yourself to go back and take some of the passages we talk about. And I want you to use that as some of your Bible study this week. We're going to be helping you do those, these type of things. I want you to be meditating on them. I, I want you to be talking with other believers about what you're studying and what you're reading. I want you to be sharing about it in small groups. And as we offer studies, I would just encourage you on all of these thoughts, I want you to test and see if what is being spoken from the pulpit lines up with Scripture. I, I used to tell everybody, don't watch YouTube for your theological training. Now we're all on YouTube. Guess what I'm telling you? Don't watch YouTube for your theological training. Go to God's Word Go to people that you know who they are. You don't know just their reputation from that 5,000 feet away, but you know who they are, and you run after Jesus in the Word with them. And the Bible says that the same Holy Spirit that inspires many of the pastors on YouTube, that the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, He's there to teach you and guide you as well. So really lean into that. Uh, but, but here's what I want you to know. As you do all of these things, here's a way that you can be testing um, already. Like, what do I know about what I believe? And, and I think First Peter gives us the, the clue to it. It says in verse 15, But in your hearts, honor Christ as, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with
with gentleness and respect. All right? So here's what I want to let you know, and this is half confession, half I've seen it in real life, is when you can come under attack or under questioning from someone with a good heart, and they ask you a hard question, is your response with gentleness and respect? And verse 16 would say, with a clean conscience. In other words, you're not lying. Because I will tell you this, this amazing tell when someone doesn't know exactly what they believe is frustration, it's anger. It's not respect, it's overpower, it's dominance. And so if you, if, if you're being asked hard questions about your faith and your plan is own the tempo, don't let others speak. Maybe if I keep talking long enough, it'll shut this thing down and I'll figure out what I believe while I'm talking. If it's, oh, they just asked me at the wrong time. If it's frustration, then you may not know what you believe. Amen? I mean, for instance, right now, men, I, I know I play into marriage a lot, but I'm a fan. I'm a fan, all right? Are, are you ready? And this is a verbal thing. Guys, if you don't say something and your wife's sitting next to you, this is on you. Okay, on three, I want you to tell me the name of the woman you're married to. Are you ready? One, two, three. Christy. That's right. Did you see there was no hesitation? No one was frustrated. No one got angry, did you? We're like, oh, I hate this question. <laughs> Always get tripped up. <laughs> If that's true, we have counseling afterwards, right? We don't get frustrated. We don't lack something we are confident in. We can talk about with gentleness and respect. But something that we're not sure of, boy, howdy. Puff up your shoulders, put out your chest, drop your voice, let yourself be dominant. I dare you. You know, church, that is exactly what the enemy does when he tries to intimidate the bride of Christ. And look at the world wide over. And so what I want you to know is at the end of the day, I want you and I to be able to say with gentleness and respect and a good conscience to anyone who asks, what do you believe about this? I want you to be able to say, here's what the Bible says, and so it's what I believe. And then talk about it. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't it be awesome just to have that peace to do so in doing that? And so uh, for me, um, I, I read an article this, uh, this past week. Um, as we've been walking through this uh, series, trying to figure out where to start, and normally I would start off um, with what we believe about God, and we'll get there very quickly. But the season that we're in kind of demands that we talk about what we believe about stewardship a little bit because that really sows itself into what we believe about God. I read a Wall Street Journal article and the title um, was How to Adjust Your Brain to 8.5% Inflation, right? Um, it, it was an interesting thing. So I read through it and basically here's what it said. What you were used to 10 years ago will not be tomorrow thought y'all I can get paid real money to write articles like this like, it, it, there's not an answer it's just a reality was all it was saying and and so as I'm driving by I saw a place their cash price was 419 their credit card price was 439 
Like, y'all, if we rode around with enough cash in our wallets to pay for a, a tank of gas and a Ford F-150, you'd be getting mugged everywhere. You follow me? Like, that's a lot of money to be carrying around. And so I just started to think, Lord, I need you to remind us what your word says about stewardship. What, what your word teaches us about what it means to be a steward of Christ. And, and I know the older we are, the more we think about this. And Christy and I, we've shared many of these stories. Um, we we were, were rich for a season of my life, but as a teenager and adult, I never knew what it was like to have a bank account um, that had more than a few pennies in it. I mean, literally, I remember Christy and I in our first two or three years of marriage, like we were super excited when we ended the month and our bank account had had double digits in it amen like wow we have we have almost three digits a hundred dollars in our account we were ecstatic I remember what it was like when the tv goes out and your credit card that you got at best buy for three hundred dollars is already maxed out I remember how we survived trying to be a good husband when we started our first barbecue grill and we put all this food on it for the week and it all got destroyed. And Hamburger Helper without the hamburger was our dinner for the week. You follow me? Like, I remember some of these things. And, and we joke about it. I've joked about it with other people. But the truth is, what got us through those times and what got the godly people that I know through their times was stewardship. And I would tell you in our life as a couple that stewardship has been a thread that has had to run all the way through because here's a secret we learned about stewardship a long time ago. Stewardship is not about money. It's about possession. Because when we, when we think about possession, there comes a question that must be answered is, who is the one, who is the owner of what I possess? Who is the owner of what I possess? The answer to that question is in Scripture. It's in red letters. Jesus would say this, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He, he's not saying, well, man, you just dropped 20 cents on the ground in New York City. Part of your heart's in New York City. That's not what he's saying. He's saying what you choose to invest in, what you choose to yield your trust to, what you choose to find value in, that thing, that person owns you. That owns you. And a lot of times, church, I will tell you, we find ourselves caught in this reality that we have been investing in this truth our whole life. And there's only two ways that we confront it. One is that we do it with intentionality. And the second is that we find out at the wrong time, at the end of the day, that what we have been investing in is self-worship, not God-worship. And so stewardship is not about money. If you say, Pastor, I'm broke, I don't have anything. There's a reason our family doesn't eat egg salad sandwiches anymore. We've, we've been there. And what I want to let you know is stewardship has zero to do with how much you do or don't have. But it's all about who owns you and how you prove or show the proof of that relationship through what you do. And scripture is super clear. 
Exodus chapter 3 is where I decided to go. Um, we'll walk through Scripture. We'll be a lot of time in Matthew today. Jesus has a lot to say about this. Um, but Scripture is really clear about what stewardship is. And so we'll go two weeks in it. Um, first part, we'll speak here with Moses. Um, if you don't know who Moses is, uh, Moses was a nobody. He was made somebody because of Jesus Christ. That's why. But he was made somebody because God said, I want you to be the one to rescue my people from captivity and lead them out. And this is the beginning of Moses becoming somebody because God made him somebody. You follow me? So Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Let's go down through verse 6 today as we get started with this because this is what Scripture tells us about stewardship. And now Moses was keeping the flock with his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb and the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a, fi a flame of fire out of the field of a bush, out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, well, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, uh, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look at the Lord. So, so I want you to know that, that stewardship begins with you and I saying, here I am. What scripture says is this, stewardship begins with us being available, with us being available. As Moses is going out, he's walking up the mountain, he sees a little nook and a cranny and a bush is burning and it's not being consumed. And like every dude in the forest who sees something they've never seen before, it's investigate, right? He was, he was alone by himself, you know, every bad story can start off this way. He goes down, he sees this bush and, and he says, the, the Lord says, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. Church, stewardship begins with being available. Because you cannot steward what you have not accepted. So, so here's what that means. If you haven't accepted the hand of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior then you cannot steward for his glory your life or anything that you have that's what it doesn't it doesn't mean that you don't know how to do math it doesn't mean that you don't know how to do a budget it doesn't mean you can't give to good causes and those kinds of things but but stewardship is about possession and if you have not said here i am lord and you have not fallen on your face and said god all that i am is yours i am in complete subservient um, uh, submission to who you are then you cannot be a steward of god the world wants you to think that god is telling you show me the money prove yourself and hand me your resume and then I will decide after you clean up your life after you prove yourself to be a good steward after you do those things then the world wants you to say then you're good enough to come follow the Lord but that is not what scripture says what scripture says is surrender precedes anything else and that's what stewardship begins with Church, as we walk through Scripture, we're going to be looking at some of the things that Jesus says about stewardship. 
And I want you to listen to what the words of our Lord and Savior say in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 22. If you want to write that down or you can quick turn there with me. And behold, a man came up to him. This is Jesus saying, teacher, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. And if you would enter life, keep his commandments. And he says to him, which ones? Well, Jesus says, you should not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You should not steal. You shall not bear false witnesses. Honor your mother and father. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I can imagine a young man who's listening like to impress somebody, almost interrupting at this point saying, oh, actually, I have done all these things. Verse 20. What do I still lack? I can imagine Jesus clearing his throat and saying, well, if you'll let me finish. He said, if you would be perfect, sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful because he had great possession. You see, this young man said, I'm with you, Lord. I am with you, God. I can do all the things you want me to do. And Jesus said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Follow me. Abandon everything and embrace who I am. Do what I say. Let all that you have be placed at the feet of the Almighty God. And you come and see what perfection, what treasure, what life is like. You put it in my hands surrender yourself to me and this young man says i'm not doing that church if today you're saying god i want to be a biblical steward if you find yourself saying god i cannot follow you because then i want you to know you can't mix that oil and water But if you're saying, I don't even know how to be a steward. With all that I've done in my life, I'm too far down the road. I'm too broken. I'm too beaten. I'm too abused. It's just over. What I would tell you is this. Surrender all that you are and follow Christ. Like Moses say, here I am. Because where your money is, your heart is. Where your life is, your possessions are. Because they are in the hands of their owner. And church, as you walk through this fearful time of life when inflation and wars and rumors of wars are going on, you and I can't have our lives in the hands of the Almighty God and holding on to the crutch behind us of a man-made security see stewardship begins with accepting what christ is offering life for complete surrender now go a little bit further as scripture talks about this in verse 8 through uh, 8 through 12 of moses story of verse 7 we'll start at verse 7 it says this And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and and a a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of the a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which Egyptians oppress them. 
come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11, if you're a circler, circle that number. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? But he, God, says, I will be with you and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. See, there's a second question that will help you know what you believe and, and if it's lined up with Scripture about stewardship. And that second question is this, are you asking the Lord, who am I? See, Moses was wanting to know, what's the role I have to play? In fact, he was insecure. He had already been run out of Egypt. Life was tough already. He knew how hard the people had it back there. No one is, is enjoying the easiness of life if you're an, an, an Israelite. And, and here's what Moses says is, who am I? What he's thinking is, what skills do I possess? What, what linguistic uh, prowess do I have? What, what mind have you given me what do I have to bring to the table that has made me so special what do I have to give I'm not like this guy over there I don't have the bank account of that guy over there I can't hire mercenaries like this guy can over here God what do I have who am I do you read what God says he completely ignores the question now, here's a, here's a note to self. If you ask God a question and he ignores it, you should pause, right? Ladies, God is not like your husband. If you ask him a question, he ignores it. Keep asking. But, but if you ask God a question and he ignores it, listen to what God says. Moses says, who am I? Verse 12, God said, but I will be with you. And this will be a sign that I have sent you. You see, the second part of biblical stewardship is a, is a belief that is grounded in God and not a belief that is grounded in yourself. See, if you see stewardship as trusting fill in the blank, and that name is any name other than Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, then I would tell you that you're not practicing biblical stewardship. And, and I think this is why God gives us that example. When I was little, um, we went up to a sound town uh, in the summer, just south of uh, ooh, Breckenridge in that area. Uh, when we went to this little, little town, my mom, dad, uh, granddad went with us. We went down into a, a mine. We went down this elevator shaft into a mine. And we went in there as a kid, probably eight years old. At the end was a gift shop made to look like they had done some great work and granddaddy bought us all of this gold we had rocks with gold with shiny gold and he said well i gave you gold and we took the gold and we were you know eight and nine this is amazing and uh and granddaddy said actually that's called fool's gold I don't know what fool's gold is it's pyrite now i know as an adult but in this moment we're holding this believing that we're rich until granddaddy crushed our dreams right when you and i put our trust 
for the glory of God in anything other than the almighty God with whom you have surrendered to completely then the only one you're fooling is yourself see because what scripture says is it's not about what you have but boy fear and anxiety going back to gentleness right and respect how we defend what we believe fear and anxiety pop up when we're thinking about stewardship is this if you are afraid of losing anything you possess if you are living your life not to steward your wife not to steward your home not to steward your husband your children not to steward your work not to steward your bank account not to steward your house if you are living in your life and fear and anxiety overwhelms you anytime those things are threatened what you are saying to God is who am I how do I hold on church Biblical stewardship is not about holding on. It's about cultivating whatever God has given you, whenever God has given you, for the glory of the one who's given it to you. And when the seasons change, it's to the glory of the owner of the field. If you have your Bible, you can look with me in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew 25, verse 14, we hear the words of Christ in a very familiar story. It's the parable of the talents, and I, I won't read the whole thing, but in verse 14 in chapter 25, Jesus is talking about this reality of stewardship as trusting in the one who is the owner of it all. And he says, there was a, a man who had uh, three servants. To one he gave five talents, to one he gave two talents, and to one he gave one talent. This is money, this is financial resources. And he said he gave them to them um, according to their ability. It's not that he played favorites. He just knew who could be trusted with what because he designed them and made them. And, and then he went away on a trip and when he came back, he asked them, well, how's it going? And the one with five talents said, hey, listen, I invested your five. This is what I did with it. I've got five more. Here's 10. He says, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. To the other one who had two, he turned two into four. He didn't need to turn it into six to eight or 10. He just did his best for the glory of the Lord, to honor his Lord with what he's got, because at the end of the day, it wasn't ever his to begin with, so he just let it go. It was his joy to participate in stewarding what the God Almighty, what his Lord had given to him. So what does the master say? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You just enter the joy of your master. Well, the last one only had one. We're gonna read what he said, because I want you to see the difference between one who says, I'm a steward, but has not surrendered their trust to the master. Verse 24. And he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Well, I went and hid your talent in the ground, and here you have what's yours. Well, the master answered him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I didn't sow and, and gathered where I had no seed? You ought to have invested the money with the bankers and at my coming I should at least receive what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. Verse 29, for everyone who has more will be given more and he who has an abundance, he will have an abundance. But from one who has not, even what he has will be 
taken away. You see, church, what you cling to reveals if you have a biblical definition of stewardship. See, this wicked servant wasn't like the other two. Two of the servants said, I belong to you. All that I exist, all that I eat, it's yours. And so you putting this money in my hand, it's no different than, than anything else you've asked me to do my whole life. So you put it in my hand, and I am going to do my best to your glory with it. Every ounce of it, this is yours, and I trust you with it. But the one said, actually, I mean, this is yours, and I don't want to mess it up. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to bury it and give it back to you. Church, what did this man believe about the owner? His heart would say he believed he shouldn't be his owner. Why would he steward something? Why would he work for something that would go to someone else's for their glory? So he said, you know what? Let me bury it and I'll just do with my life what I want to do while you're gone. And I'm going to see what I can make of it. Church, biblical stewardship is grounded in a trust in God. And that trust in God can't be ignored. Jesus would say in Luke chapter 6, give and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. What Jesus says is, you trust me and know that I will provide what you need. Not every childish dream you have, not every justified thought or want. If anyone ever tells you, follow Jesus and you will be rich, one of two things are true. One, they better be talking about eternity when you'll own nothing and have everything. Amen? That's, that's definition of heaven. Or two, they're a deceiver and you need to go listen to someone else. Because that's not what Scripture says. What Scripture says is a principle of abundance is based in the King of kings and the Lord of lords who owns every camel on a thousand hills. And what you and I delight in is the joy of our master. And so when we steward all that God has given us, it's an act of worship. So the question is, if you were to be honest before God and not out loud in front of anyone else, is stewardship saying that you worship the God Almighty or would the tension in your hand from gripping and trying to make it work prove that you've been worshiping yourself and trying to offer that as a gift to the God Most High? Moses says, who am I? God says, I... I don't need to answer that question because I made you, Goob. It's not important. Find yourself in me. It ends with this conversation in verse 13 through 21, back in Exodus chapter 3. What do we believe about stewardship? Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I? I say. A church, I think Moses is starting to get it. At this point, I think it's, he's starting to come around. He's saying, okay, listen, if it's not about me, then I need you to treat me like your child. 
If I come in and they say, who sent you to me? What do I say? Church, here's a third part of, of part one of what we believe about stewardship. Is that you and I need to understand that stewardship is taking action on the mission that God has given you with what he has given you. Stewardship is taking action on the mission of God that he's given you with what he has given you. So that, that's why it's important that you have to trust him completely. That's why before that, it's important that you have to accept him as your Lord and Savior. With Moses here, listen to verse 14, 15, 16, and 18. We'll kind of bounce through this just a little bit. Verse 14, listen to how God instructs him. God says to, to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together, saying with them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise I will bring you out. Verse 18, and they will listen to you, to your voice, and to the elders of Israel and you shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. I mean, do you see it? Moses has a moment right now to decide what it means to be a steward of the God most high. He's already accepted this is the God most high and he rules over me. He's already clarified where does my trust in my decision making, where's that come from, me or you? So after all of that, he says, then what do I do? And God says, say this, say this, go here and go there. Church, stewardship is that simple. It's you and I understanding that what is for good and for God's glory is the best thing that we can do with any decision in our life. Church, this foundational picture, this foundational act of, of stewardship, it's action. Listen, you can memorize every passage on physical purity in Scripture for the glory of God. But if you don't act on it, then you're making a confession about what you believe about Scripture. You, you can memorize every truth about how God is honored in Scripture. But if you don't take action in the mission God has given you to, to follow Him and steward those truths for His glory, then you, no one has to point a finger, then you are standing on sandy ground that will be blown away, that will be shaken. Church, we find our time in a season of life 
when the world has tried to tell you, when sin has tried to lead you into a, a misunderstanding of biblical stewardship. It's not new. In, in Scripture, Jesus tells us another parable in Matthew chapter 21. The parable of the tenants is how it's said in my Bible. And Jesus says, here another parable. There was a master of a house, and he planted a vineyard, and he put a fence around it, and he dug a wine press in it, and he built a tower, and then he leased it to tenants. And then he went to another country, and when the season of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get fruit, and the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent the master, other servants, more than the first, and they did the same. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said, he will put those wretches to a miserable death. And he, and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the fruit of their seasons. Church, stewardship is an either or. Either everything that you have belongs to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who has dug the well, made the wine press, planted the vineyards and done all of the work and he's given you the joy of living in his goodness. And everything around you is his, it always was and always will be. Either you and I will recognize the reality of biblical stewardship and joyfully cultivate it to the joy of our king or we are the tenants who smile when we receive his letters and selfishly wreak havoc with it for our own glory behind the scenes here's what scripture says here's the truth there's a day of judgment coming You might say, I just want to get into heaven with even if it's the, the stinge of smoke on my clothes. If that's your heart, you've missed it. God has already invited you to a greater life now. And it begins with stewardship. So that when the master returns, he might see your good works. He's not blind to it. He's not gone. And he might see you glorifying the Father in heaven. And he might say, well done. Come enter the joy of your master. He knows it's all his to begin with. He knows the strength that you have, the ability to love, all that, it came from him. But what does the Bible say we have to believe about steward? Stewardship of God Almighty's things can only be one who has accepted him as the Lord Almighty of their life. Biblical stewardship 
is about placing your trust in the one, our Lord Almighty, to whom it all owns, all belongs. And biblical stewardship is about using what God has entrusted you to carry out the mission of the God who saved you. So if the world falls apart, inflation hits 500%, we can lean into the one who owns the land. If everything breaks, just keep your hands open. Trust him all the way through it. It's his word and his promises to back it up. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, this morning, God, we recognize that being a steward is something that must be uh, done daily, moment by moment. So Lord, I, I praise you for a word that is true and clear. And God, today, I pray right now, if there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are living with anxiety and fear and they're trying to make decisions and, and they're studying all the outcomes, God, I, I pray right now that this week, starting right at this moment, God, anything that they would read, anything that they would study, any thought that they would have would come secondary and it would be subservient to the time they spend with you, seeking to understand your heart, your grace, and your will for them in the season of trouble that they find themselves in. And God, when someone says, how can you be so confident when everything is crashing around us? God, I pray with gentleness and respect they could give reason for the hope that they have. Lord Jesus, if there is a man, woman, boy, or girl in this room that's looking at the things in their hand and they realize that they have been worshiping themselves and they didn't even know it. Father God, in this moment, would you allow them to lift their eyes to you and their heart to you? Lord, would you let them say, here I am, would you let them bow on their, their faces, fall on their knees, God, before you and say, God, all that I have is yours.